being a disciple of Jesus is so much more than just mental assent that he is Lord and Savior. Right? Jesus didn't say, acknowledge me. He said, follow me. Right? In Matthew 28, right, where Jesus gives us our commission, our marching orders for life, right? He tells the disciples, he begins bringing this kingdom into the world, right? What does he say? He says, I want you to, to go make disciples. That's the thing, make disciples. How do we do that? Well, you go to them, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You bring someone to faith. And then what? Teach these new disciples to obey everything I have commanded you. That's, that's what we do. It's, it's about holding to the teachings. Because there's freedom there. That, Amy and I, when we were first married, we got into this legalistic sect of Christianity. I will never go back to bondage of legalism. That was awful. See, that was a different kind of thing. It wasn't that we were holding the teachings. Like, we were being bound by the teachings, right? And so, right? That was awful. And there was freedom there. And that freedom is, is powerful. And it's not just for our benefit, but it certainly benefits us. And I'll say this. You have a memory verse, not so that way we can just have something that we know about God's Word. This is something for you. If you're finding bond in your life, you're feeling stuck, right? You're feeling you're just, you're just kept, right? You're, you're not able to, to be unleashed the way that God has called you to be. There may be some power in this for you. And see, we have to hold His teachings. We have to get to them, right? Then we're going to know this truth. And it's in that and applying and knowing this truth that there's freedom. And knowing is not just head. In the Bible, like knowing isn't just mental assent or just knowledge, right? It says like we get like Adam knew Eve and they had a baby. That's more than he's like, oh, I know Eve's out there, right? That was a little bit more intimacy. You're going to know this truth. It's going to be part of you in your life and there's freedom there. Boy, do we need freedom. So I encourage you, take that memory verse out. Take it, put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet. Tape it to the back of your phone. Put it somewhere where you can get to and you can see it. And don't just refresh your memory of what it says, but think about how it applies to your life this week. Make it part of your prayers as well. This is something awesome. All right, now as you do that, let's actually get into God's Word, and let's look at this, this passage in context. If you have your Bibles, turn them to John chapter 8. If you have one of our Bibles, uh, that's going to be on page 746. If you forgot your Bible today, you need one, no worries, we got you covered. There's a bunch of them in the back on the bookshelf by the sound booth there. Help yourself. And if you just need a Bible, uh, keep it. Our gift to you. I want to make sure everybody has access to God's Word. So there it is. Now, in context here in chapter 8, let me show what's going on. Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is making some claims up to this point about that He is the Messiah, and not just the Messiah, that He is God the Son, right? He is... He is divine. And of course, if you make claims like this, uh, you're going to have some pushback. People are like, how do we know? And so he has these Pharisees and these other people that are listening to what Jesus is saying, and they're like, wait a second, I don't believe you. How do we know that you're really who you claim to be? Because Jesus didn't say, I'm another prophet. He claimed to be Messiah. He claimed to be God the Son. And so Jesus, in chapter 8, gives some evidence. He, he defends his claims, and he points to the prophets, and he points to some of his miracles, and he points to, he gives some reasoning as to say, there's a reason why you should listen to me. It's not just that he was making this up. It's not that he wished to be Messiah. He wasn't, he's believing, or his, his claims were not divergent from reality. He is saying, this is who I am, and he's backing this up, and then in verse 31, he says, to those who were skeptical, but to those who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. 
How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, for starters, that is just ridiculous because if the, right, the people of Israel, part of the big part of their history is that they were slaves for several hundred years in Egypt, right? That they, they have whole holidays based around this and being set free, right? And so for them to say to Jesus, we've never been slaves to anyone, is, uh, they, they cleverly want to reinvent history, Right? And that's just not the way it is. But I'll tell you, it's like for us too. They're saying, listen, uh, we're Americans, and I think we can read Jesus saying, I will set you free. And we're like, we're Americans. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you possibly say you will set us free? Right? Have you ever been there, like you challenge Jesus' teaching? He's saying, listen, there is a, he doesn't first challenge their crazy history. No, he goes to the heart of the matter, and he tells them exactly where they were slaves. And it fits for us too. And he says, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, if a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What a promise. Jesus shows us there's a type of slavery that goes so much deeper and so much more profound than any type of political slavery that some may or may not suffer in their lifetime. This is something for all of us. Which of us has not sinned? Well, I can't put my hand up because we all have. And the thing is, is that if we are in sin, there is a slavery to it. There's a consequence to it. And Jesus came to set us free in a very deep, profound, spirit-soul level that affects us even in our physical, historical lives. And that's what he's setting us free for. So what sets us free? Well, he says, if you are truly my disciples, you will hold to my teachings and you will know the truth. The truth will set us free. Truth is a powerful thing and has the ability to free us from bondage. So we have to ask the question then, what is truth? Right? What is truth? Jesus was asked that question, wasn't he? Uh, when the Pharisee or when uh, Pontius Pilate was, was giving him a, a, a chance to defend himself, and, he, and, and uh, Pontius actually asked, says to Jesus, you know, what is truth, right? To say there's no such thing as truth. I think we live in a day and age where people ask that question all the time. Like, does truth even exist? Well, that's a good question. Because if truth doesn't exist, how can it set anybody free? Is And build from there. Does truth even exist? Well, here's what truth is. Here's the definition of truth. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Right? There's reality, and then if something matches what reality is, it is true. Well, reality is what exists. Would we agree? If something is is real, it must exist. (laughs) So the core of reality is what exists to begin with. And therefore, existence itself is the foundation of truth. If nothing existed, there would be no truth, right? So is there existence? Well, we're getting deep today. Do, is there things that exist? Well, let's start with how God reveals himself to us. I love this passage in Scripture where God reveals, and we just did these names of God, and so we got to study these. If you missed that, go to funchurch.com, and you can listen to the different names of God. One of them we get here is how God reveals himself to him as the I am. God exists. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is, I exist because I exist, just that I exist. He's not made. He's not created. He just is. He exists. And so he's like, if you want to know me, tell the Israelites, introduce me to who he is. Tell them, I am has sent me to you, the self-existent one. God begins with the fact that he is real. He exists. 
That's what separates him from so many other gods, right? Who are figments of imagination, who are parts of stories, who are parts of lore or myth. God begins with the fact of saying this, I am real. I exist. And the cool thing about reality is it, it's objective. Reality doesn't need anyone to acknowledge it for it to be real. For example, uh, let's say um, you, you exist, don't you? Yeah, I think you would all agree that you exist. Now, are there people in this world that don't know you? Are there people who don't know about you? Does that make you any less real? Is the fact like if you made yourself more famous, all of a sudden you exist more? No. Like you can exist even if nobody ever knew about you. You would still be you, wouldn't you? See, existence isn't based upon other people's knowledge. It's not based upon, there might be people, does anybody here have somebody who doesn't like them? Yeah, right? Me too, right? Here's the thing. Them not liking me doesn't make me exist any less. Does anybody here have people who like you? I hope so, right? I will like you. All right, so here's the thing. Me liking you doesn't make you exist anymore. Existence has nothing to do with our opinions of it. It has nothing to do with our knowledge of it. Existence is just there. It's just there. Now, here's the amazing thing about some different realities. There's the physical reality. Sure, that's what we live in, right? We see that. We live in this world. There's, there's a, like this table or you. You're a physical thing, right? You exist. This building, this church building exists. Even if nobody acknowledges it or whatever, it's still here. It's physical and it's there. But there's other kinds of realities, not just physical. For example, there's historical realities, like today. Today, is a, it actually exists. Would you agree? Like today is a real thing. And there will be lots of people that don't even know about today. Maybe they lived thousands of years ago. They have no knowledge of today. And there are going to be people who maybe live hundreds of years in the future who might not know about today. But it still exists. That's why we have history. That's why we, have, we go back and we, we study what, what, uh, what actually took place in the past so we can reveal what actually happened. Historical realities. And we can't remake history. There's not somebody who lives 500 years from now who can change what happened today. They either can see it for the way it was or they can make up stories. Right? But, but today exists. It's historical reality. There's emotional realities. Anybody who's ever suffered from depression or grief, or had the wonderful uh, experience of love and friendship will know that those are realities. They're not just things that you make up. (laughs) We have to deal with them. We can try to to deny them. We can try to work around them, but they are realities. All right, Uh, something else. Uh, There are spiritual realities as well. Just as much as there's physical realities and historical, there's spiritual realities. There's such a place as heaven, and there is hell. And there are angels, and there are demons, and and you have a spirit, right? That's a reality, right? It actually exists. That's pretty amazing. And you know, too, there are also moral realities. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There is good, and there is evil, right? There is righteousness, and there is sin, And regardless if we know about what they are or we agree with them, they still exist. And so we have to start with the reality, what exists. Now, a crazy cool thing about reality is that it is then knowable. Wouldn't it be horrible if God created us and put us into this reality and then gave us no ability to understand it or to see what was there? What if he made us without our five senses and we were completely blind? All right, and we, we couldn't hear. 
right? We would stumble over everything, wouldn't we? We would miss out on the beauty of the stars and, and the rainbows and all this kind of stuff. And, and just the fact that we didn't know what was out there doesn't mean it didn't exist. I mean, you have a chog, right? But even so, they can't see color. They would be like, no, it doesn't exist. I can't see it. But it does. And we can know it because God gave us the ability to see it. God, who created reality, who is the reality, the behind existence itself, he's the creator, he wants us to interact with. He wants us to know what reality is. And so he's given us these five senses, and there's great benefit for us. We get to see the world as it is. He invites us to it. But not just the physical world. Right? There's the emotional reality. He's given us our feelings. He's given us other people and counsels and things like this so we can understand what is, what is there. He invites us to it. Right? He's given us, how about our, the spiritual realities? Isn't it crazy that despite some people who try to deny the, the existence of the spiritual world, that there is faith and religion in every single portion, even though we can't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, right? Why is that? Because in any knowledge, we know that there is spiritual truths. All people know that. Now, what those are. And how about this? Moral realities. Have you noticed that every single culture all throughout time, all throughout the world have moral standards, things that are morally good and morally bad? There's never been a morally neutral country or people ever. It's impossible because there's moral realities. And we know that. And we have things like a conscience that God put into our heart so that we could sense those things. Now, just like your vision might be off, you ever been to like the, the eye doctor and then they show you that you've been seeing things that probably aren't right? Right? So uh, like we went to a Broncos game last night and, and uh, this time I was a little closer so I could mostly see the numbers. <laughs> but the week before I was like way up high and I was looking down and the guy next to me kept asking me, well, who did that? What number was he? I was like, I don't know. He's blob. I just, like, he actually really did have a number. I just couldn't see it. Right? Well, when I go to an eye doctor, he helps correct that, and I can see things the way that they actually are, and I'm like, oh, that person has a face. How cool, right? <laughs> In reality, they do, right? But morally, our lenses are clouded. And so sometimes we see things that's morally good when they're not or whatever, but that doesn't mean that there's no such things as moral, good, or bad. That exists. And we have to at least start there. It exists. And if it exists, therefore, if something exists, then there must be truth, if there is reality, then there must be truth. If, if truth is that which corresponds to reality, if reality exists, then there has to be truth. Does that make sense? So let me give you an illustration, because I know this is, can be kind of nerdy and boring, right? So we'll be giving you some really cool pictures that I made. We're going to start with reality, the things that exist, and believe reality, there is a red box, a red square. It exists. You all see it exists, right? Now, Let's see that we have Mr. Green comes by, and all of a sudden, he recognizes that's what it is, and he comes up and he believes that that to be a red box. You know what we call that? Truth. His belief corresponds to reality. You notice that truth didn't exist until there was a belief, right? Once there was something to believe, then we have the opportunity for truth. If there is existence, then there also has to be somebody to interact with it, to believe something about it in order for it to be truth. And God made us. And we have the opportunity to understand reality as it is. And when we do, we believe the truth and of great value. What if there was a trillion dollars in a red box and Mr. Green was like, I have to find the red box. And he sees it and he sees, oh, that's the red box. All of a sudden he found a trillion bucks. There was a value to it, wasn't there? Now, 
Just because truth exists doesn't mean that we always see it for what it is. For example, let's say that we have somebody else comes by, maybe Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue comes by and he interacts with this red box and then he says, well, I believe that to be a yellow triangle, right? Well, that's not true. He's got it wrong. He got the shape wrong. He got the color wrong. And if he's looking for a trillion dollars, he's going to miss out because he believes that to be a yellow triangle. Now, it doesn't mean that Mr. Blue is a bad guy. It means he misunderstood what was already out there. He just saw it wrong. That doesn't make him awful. It just makes him confused. We have to understand that truth is just an objective thing, and just seeing the world as it is has value. So truth is based upon reality, and reality is, is, uh, is there. We, we exist, and therefore there must be truth. And if it is, then we have to understand. You know, there's this, uh, this, this philosopher who began with uh, back in the 16th century. His name was Rene Descartes, and a uh, hard name to spell, fun to say, but he, was, uh, he changed the course of the world, and this is how he did it. Uh, in, in the time that he was growing up and, and, and got into to scholastic things and all that, the world was kind of governed by mysticism, kind of the philosophy of mysticism and understanding that, that the world is confusing and it's big. And so the philosophies that were around it were based upon basically how do we, my best understanding of things, I don't really have to make logical sense of them or anything like that. And so it was very feeling wishy-washy. And, and I think we can understand, we can identify Rene Descartes said, wait a second, there's got to be something better than this. I'm not going to base my eternity. I'm not going to trust everything off of what I feel. And so he said, you know, I'm doubting everything. He's like, well, what if God is just tricking us, right? What if the Bible is just God tricking us and he wants to be mean, right? So he's like, I can't trust that. And he's like, what if, what if my feelings were just like, uh, a, like a magical illusion, right? So what if my feelings are like, my, I see things, but I'm seeing things that aren't really there. I'm just like a giant magician that's tricking me. Who knows? I'm going to doubt it. Anything, even the most ridiculous things, he doubted all the way down. You know where he ended up? He said this, I think, therefore I am. The one thing he couldn't doubt was that he was thinking, right? He was like, what can I not doubt? Well, I'm having these thoughts. Well, I can't doubt that I'm thinking. And if I think, therefore I exist. And he starts with the fact that if I exist, then he starts building up, then there has, to be a, there has to be other things that exist. And he builds from that point up to it. He gives a very good def, uh, defense for obviously our faith. And he changed the course and brought in about what was called the modern era. And the modern era, modern thinking, was understanding that there is existence, that there, are, that things, there is reality, and that truth corresponds to that. And that's one of the reasons he influenced uh, all kinds of different philosophers, which is one of the reasons like... Uh, we have science the way that we have it. We actually have our country was based upon a lot of the beginning of, of where his thoughts came from. That's an amazing thing. We're saying, you know, truth exists. It was profound. And if truth exists, or if reality exists, then truth exists. And it's our job then to understand what truth is. And so this idea from the modern world is that truth is discovered. It's not invented. Does that make sense? We don't create reality, and there's a reason we don't create reality, is that we are not the creator. We're not God. Here's a good example of that. Let's just say, I really, really, really want to have my car be a Ferrari. Actually, it would be a Jeep. I want a Jeep. Ferraris are stupid in the mountains. I want a Jeep, right? And I really want my car to be a Jeep. And so I believe in all my heart that my car is a Jeep. Does it make it a Jeep? No, because if I take my Honda Civic up to Pole Hill, it's going to stay there. It ain't coming back. 
right? My belief doesn't create reality, but we have entire religions now based upon this idea that if I believe it, it will become so. This makes you a God, but it also doesn't work. Our job, now think about this. Have you ever gone to your house, like you maybe bought something at the store, it's like your, your favorite food or something like that, and you put it in the refrigerator and you're saving it for like a time, you're like, I'll be super home, I'm going to love to have this, and you put it in the refrigerator, and then you come back later and somebody else ate it? Like in reality, it's not there? You can't believe your way into making that thing exist. Like, it doesn't matter how badly you're like, my cup, that's my cupcake, I will believe with all my heart, that's my, it's not going to make it happen. The reality is gone. You've got to deal with reality. Right? You've got to move on. You've got to go buy yourself another cupcake or something because the, all the belief in the world ain't going to make that cupcake appear. Reality is objective, and we, our job is just to see it as it is. Another great example of this is if you're going to cross a street, you can believe anything you want about crossing that street, but if there's a bus coming, it doesn't matter what you believe. If there's a bus coming or not, the bus is going to find you. Right? You're going to believe in that bus one way or another, right? Our job is to see reality as it is. So it's a one-way street. And so we have to take our senses. Do you ever know that your senses are passive? Like your sense of smell doesn't make people smell good, right? You're like, I smell if they smell good or bad, regardless, right? It just picks up the reality. Your eyes don't make somebody look good, right? They just see, are they attractive or are they ugly, right? It just sees, like my outfit. Here's a good example. When I was uh, in college, I was was in the choir and I was the... uh, chaplain for my choir in college, and I thought I was doing a great job. I stepped up beginning, and I gave this great thing about how God is glorious and all that kind of stuff, and, and how music brings him honor, all that kind of things, and, and I thought in reality, I just did a great job because everybody was like really into it, just smiles, they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's good, right? And so it, I thought, when I was looking at them, all that kind of stuff, I thought that I did really good. The reality was is that my, my zipper was undone and my shirt tail was sticking out. And I had this bright plaid orange flame kind of stuff that was sticking out. Bad. The reality is they weren't listening to me. They were like, he's an idiot. That's the truth of it. And there were people in there, my friends, who with all of their heart were trying to make me, they were like through their, their, their thoughts were trying to like, Aaron, just sense the fact that you need to zip up your pants, Right? But all of their belief didn't make it so. Our senses are passive. They're designed to receive what is actually out there to tell us what is there. Right? Well, it's the same way with with our morals. Sometimes we think, for whatever reason, that I can create morals to be whatever I want them to be. And the truth is, is that living in this world without mirrors makes us walk out of our house with lettuce in our teeth. And living without moral mirrors makes us walk out into this world with, with great consequence. Now, here's the thing here. If truth is that which corresponds to reality, and if I see reality is, then my, not only do I believe truth, but the closer my understanding, my beliefs match reality, the more valid my, my beliefs become. Now, this is a very contentious thing that people say this is, you know, make about why in just a second. But let's just say Mr. Yellow comes in the fair, and he sees this, and he says, wait a second, that's an orange box, not a red box, right? So you have different opinions about what it's actually there. Now, all three of those guys can either... Mr. Green, Blue, and Yellow, they could either exist or not. If they don't exist, they can't believe anything, but they exist, so they see it. And they can believe anything they want to about that box. But if Mr. Red sees this box and he sees it for what it is and his belief corresponds to reality, his belief is valid, right? It actually matches. If there was a trillion dollars in that box 
And so he believed that it was actually the red box. So he goes to it, there would be a value to it. It would be a valid belief. Now, Mr. Yellow, he might look to it and he's like, his belief is part valid. It partly reflects the truth. The part of his, his belief that says it's a box, that's valid. It's true. But the part that says it's yellow is not valid. Right? That part is wrong. It's an error. It doesn't mean that he is part valid. He is just as valid as a person. We're going to talk about that next week too, as intolerance. Why that's so important. It's not that he is less valid, but his belief is only part valid. It's only going to be half helpful. And then we, of course, have Mr. Blue. Poor Mr. Blue sees it. His belief is not valid. He's, what he believes about something is just not, it's not helpful. And we have to come to, I think as Americans, we have this, this hardship, and we're gonna, this is why I cover this first. We have to have tolerance in this. We're going to talk about how we have tolerance in this. We have to begin with that truth actually exists and that truth matters. It's valid because it makes a difference for our lives. It's a good thing, right? And so we would say that, that our closer our beliefs are to reality, the more valid our beliefs become. So we have to not say, I'm, I believe what I want, and therefore I'm going to force that my beliefs are valid. The question is on us, am I believing what is actually true? Are my beliefs valid? That's where we have to begin. Because if, if I'm thinking of things that don't match with reality, my beliefs aren't helpful. They are not valid. Now, why does this matter? Well, let's look at this. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is having an accurate understanding of what reality is. We covered that. It's regardless of what we feel. And so, therefore, as Christians, we recognize there are consequences for, for living according to reality or not. And so, the onus on us is to not live with our heads in the sand. The invitation of the Christian life is not say, hey, just believe this blindly. It's to test it and to know, are we believing what is true? And another thing, too, is to say, if, if belief is only part of it, it has to be based upon reality, the more valid my beliefs are as if, if they match reality, then I have to really look at my beliefs and say, are they really reflected in what is actually out there? And this idea of uh, what's true for you is not true for me, that, therefore, could only be true if somebody is living in an alternate reality. Does that make sense? For example, picture in your mind a number six. Can you do that? Number six. Now, put that number six in front of you, just laying down in front of you. Now, imagine your friend comes and is facing you, so they're on the other side of that number. What are they seeing? A nine. Does their looking at that make that a nine? Well, to them, it looks like a nine. They would say it's a six to you and a nine to me. Well, here's the problem with that whole thinking is that somebody put that six there, and the six is only a symbol. For example, if you'd never seen numbers before, that six is just a squiggly line, right? And so is a nine. It doesn't mean anything. It's a symbol. It's a symbol that stands for something that is true. And so you, how would you understand? Is this a six or a nine? Well, you would look around. You'd look at the context. Are there other numbers there? Is it go one, two, three, four, five? Probably a six, right? Are they all facing one direction or another? Is somebody put that down there, and it's not, put that six on the floor. And whoever put that six there was trying to say something. Now, you can misinterpret it forever you want, but the reality is it stands for something. It's important for us to understand what the world is. So when somebody says it's true for you, not for me, what they're saying is that we're coming at this from different angles, and, the, and it's not for us to say, my way is true and your way is wrong. To say is, wait a second, what's the context? We want to know what truth is. That's where we need to begin. Now, truth enables us to make better decisions, doesn't it? For example, if I parked my car in space number six and I gave you my keys and said my car is in space number six, 
And you go out there and you look in the parking lot and you're like, well, that might be a nine. It might be a six. There's a consequence for getting that wrong, isn't it? This guy in car nine is going to think you're breaking into his car if you got the wrong spot. Knowing what it actually is is not, well, it looked like a nine to me at first. doesn't matter. My car was in six. There are consequences for getting reality wrong, and there are benefits for getting it right. Now, the consequences for it, there's different. Some people don't know you exist, right? They're ignorant of you. Ignorance uh, is risky. For example, lead paint, right? In the past, lead, I guess, made good paint, but it made an awful snack for kids, right? And we just didn't know. So we painted our houses and our nurseries and all the kind of stuff with lead paint, and the kids chewed on the stuff, and then all of a sudden they weren't as smart as they were before, right? It was bad. And it didn't matter that we didn't know that, that innocently we just painted things with lead, right? We were just ignorant of it, but it still had consequence. And so the value, that's why we have science, isn't it? So we can see the world as it is, so we can make better decisions in the midst of it. But there's also not just ignorance, there's misunderstanding, that we see the world as, we're not ignorant of it, but we misunderstand it, like we see a six as a nine. I can think of a good example of this when I was in youth group. We would every, uh, every October, we would do these, this fun game where we would take apples and we would dip them in caramel, right? And then we would take one that was an onion and we would dip it in caramel. And then we would mix them all up and set them around. It was like Russian roulette. It was great, right? And everybody thought that they had the apple because chances were pretty good. And so everyone would look at the reality, and somebody, sure enough, would misunderstand, like they would, they would misunderstand reality. They were holding an onion, and they thought there was an apple, and they would bite into it. And I did that once, and it was so gross, right? Misunderstanding reality is dangerous, right? Thinking that your car seat works if it doesn't, it's dangerous, right? Thinking that your, you know, your, your taxes are done right if they're not, dangerous, right? Misunderstanding reality has consequence. But there's also when we disconnect from reality is another way that we can miss it. So disconnection from reality is not ignorance of it. It's not misunderstanding. It's just not even connected with it entirely. For example, a person who thinks they're a duck, right? That's called insanity, right? And it's not, I mean, think about someone who really does, that we suffer from being disconnected from reality is a scary and a bad thing. There are some people who believe that they're being spied on all the time and they're not, That's a horrible way to live. Disconnection from reality is insanity, and God calls us to a sane life. Well, I'll tell you this. What is true for for the physical world is true for the spiritual. When we are faced with morality and we live in ignorance of morality, I didn't know that it was right to, to honor or to love my wife. I just didn't know that, maybe. Right? I didn't know that I was supposed to tell the truth or to do these things or live generous. I didn't know that there, there are still consequences if I get it wrong. And most people in the world live in ignorance of God's moral reality. We don't know. And so a lot of our friends and neighbors who live in this, val- this in, in horrible things in life, and they don't even know why. They're just ignorant of God's ways. And that's the value of God giving us His truth. It sets us free. But there's also a misunderstanding. It's what Amy and I did when we first got to, first married. We got into that real legalistic sect of Christianity. We had God's ways, totally misunderstood them. And it brought about just this bondage in our life, right? The right laws totally misapplied. And it wasn't that we were trying to be mean. It wasn't that we were trying to be obstinate or anything like that. We just misapplied them and it, God still loved us. But there were still consequences for us. 
And of course, then we see people in this world who live with a disconnect with the moral reality. They'll actually believe that there's no such thing as God. They'll actually believe there's no such thing as actual right and wrong. And that is moral insanity. And I would say if anything (laughs) defines our world today, morally insane. And God calls us to a better way, a better way to live. So how do we know what is true? We don't want to be those type of people who live these lives that have all these difficult things. How can we know what is true? Well, I think we go this, we start with by knowing God. See, God wanted to be known, isn't he? He said, tell the Israelites, I am the existent one. I am here, right? Tell them I sent you. God wants us to know him. He wants us to be, uh, to see reality as it is. That's why he said, uh, Jesus said that God is spirit is, uh, and his followers must worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to be accurate, to, to know him who, had, who, who he had. He wants us to know him as he is. He's not hiding. And he invites us to do that. In fact, he did it so much that, that he revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. God came to this earth. He didn't just send prophets, he sent himself. He said, here I am. And if we want to know God, we have to know Christ. So Jesus didn't just show up as God. He didn't just, but he also, he died so that we could really be forgiven of our very real sins. That our moral, uh, our moral depravity would have been dealt with. So that way we could receive something for real called grace and forgiveness and salvation. So that we could have a real relationship with God. One based upon reality. This is what it says in Hebrews about Jesus. It says, The Son, that is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. That sounds a whole lot like corresponding to reality to me. That's why when Jesus is revealing Himself to His disciples, He says, Jesus said, I am the existence, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus corresponds to the, re- the best reality that there ever was, the first reality. Jesus is God, the exact representation. And that's why he says, I am the truth. All religions in the world are like people looking through smoky glass trying to figure out who God is. And so God broke that glass, walked in and said, here I am. We're not just taking hearsay, this is what God is like. He showed up. And he says, if you want to have a relationship with me, then you have to have a relationship with me. <laughs> but I don't know about you, I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. Not yet. And so how do we get to know who this Jesus is? Well, God's given us some other ways that he's revealed himself to us. The first is the Holy Spirit, right? We have to know the Holy Spirit in our life. God, the Holy Spirit. Look what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, but he, the, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals to us who God is and what the, what's real in life. Jesus even called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. He's not a joke. And where does the Holy Spirit reside? In us. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is in you. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? Guiding you in the truth. The Christian life must be one in which we invite. That's why we pray all the time. We say, God, help me make wise decisions, one based upon true. Help me, convict me of where I'm wrong morally so that way you can set me on a better path, right? God, give me guidance and God The Holy Spirit will guide you, not by his opinion of what's out there, but God is true. He will actually allow you to live a life of truth. Isn't that awesome? It's like being a blind person being led around by somebody who can see the world perfect. 
He keeps us from stumbling over all kinds of things. What a great gift. But God didn't just stop there. He's given us something else that also the Holy Spirit uses to help guide us in truth, and that is this, we get to know the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired word. This is what it says in 2 Timothy. It says, all Scripture, that's this, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It goes on so that the person of God will be fully equipped for every good work. This is the truth I think is true. What do I think is right? How well is that doing for us in the world, by the way? Isn't that the cause of all the wars? Isn't that the cause, really, of most fights? I see it my way, you see it your way. God's broken that veil, and he said, you know what? This is true. If you want to know what is morally right, what is morally good, what is morally pure, he's revealed it to us. He'll set you free. How many of us live our lives, right, and have lived our lives with false guilt, have lived our lives with with not understanding why things go awry. People get married, and all of a sudden, the person they love so very much all of a sudden becomes their world's greatest enemy. How did that happen? Right? They go into business with somebody, and they think they did everything right, and all of a sudden, it just goes horribly south. How did that happen? There is moral corruption within us, and whether we're ignorant of it, we're in denial of it, or we're just uh, <laughs> maybe a little morally insane, it still has its effect on us. That makes us, what Jesus said, a slave to that sin, a slave to that brokenness, a slave to that death. But it doesn't have to stay that way. And that's the good news. Jesus invites us to a different kind of life. He says, you could be my disciples. In fact, that memory verse we go back to, it says, if you are Jesus' disciple, right? If you hold to his teaching, he says, you really are his disciple. Not just in word, not just in pretend, you are really his disciple. And what happens for his disciples? What is the promise? He says, you will know the truth, even for those of us that aren't that smart. You will know the truth. God will reveal. He's given you this holy word. He's given you his holy spirit, right? He's changed you from the inside out. You will know it. And that truth will do something for you. It says the truth will set you free. From the brokenness of our lives, we're not going to live our lives in such a way that we try to do our best and the bad things still happen because we didn't see reality as it was. No, we will live in this world as very sane people and we will make decisions based upon truth and reap the rewards of that. We will be set free from brokenness. We will be set free from guilt and shame. We will be set free from the lie that, there is no, that we have no purpose. Right? We will be set free from all of the things that had held us in bondage before. You will be unleashed. That's what it means. You will be unleashed in this community, in this world, to build his kingdom of righteousness and truth and in love. And next week, we will talk about the power of that, how we do that. But for this week, what are our steps? Because disciples of Jesus, we're always taking steps, aren't we? So what's your next step to follow? Take out your connection card. I got some next steps that you might want to take. Some challenges this week to follow Jesus, to walk in truth. And the first one, if you see in the back, maybe you commit to that. If, if, you, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth. Maybe you begin with that. How is that working in your life? How do you know his teachings? Are you actually following them, right? Do you know the truth? Is the truth setting you free? This is something you can, you can base your life on. That if you're trusting God and you're tr- following his teachings, you will have freedom. Maybe you begin by memorizing that. Or maybe what you want to do this week is read Acts 1 through 8. This is historical reality. The church actually began right? And it began in an amazing way. If you want to see how God in truth begins to build his kingdom in this world, read Acts 1 through 8 in preparation for our series coming up. Or how about this? Maybe you commit to truth. Maybe this week you say, you know what? I know what I believe is right and wrong, but I'm going to 
commit to what God says is right and wrong. So I'm going to evaluate myself. I'm going to evaluate my beliefs and really put them on. Am I seeing things the way that they are? Or have I been seeing things wrong? And commit to trusting God. Or how about this? Maybe you want to pray for our teachers and students because here's a, a good and perfect saying that deserves full acceptance is teachers have a hard job. And we've got a lot of teachers that are in our church and the church of the Estes Valley. We want to pray for them and also for those that aren't believers yet. Right? We want to support them and encourage them and their incredible work that they get to shape the next generation, that God will work in them and through them. We also want to pray for our students, you know, especially those that are believers. They are still, they are, they're not the, the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. And we've got, we've got believers that are going into the schools and they can be a light for Christ. We want to pray for them. And if you want to pray for them this week, I encourage you to do so. Or how about this? If you found today's message helpful or our worship time helpful, why not bring a friend or a coworker or a family member with you next week? You pray about it because you know what? Truth is something that God doesn't want just to be held to itself. He wants others to be set free as well. All right, make your commitments. Here in a second, we're going to take our offering. We take our offering. Please take these connection cards, put them in the offering basket. And as we have the worship team come out, and as we begin to set ourselves to that, let's pray for our offering and for our commitments. And uh, let's just do that now. Heavenly Father, you are a God of truth. You are the real, true, living God. And it's awesome to know you. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Guide us in it. Help this church be a church that's based upon that. May we never step off into the sandy uh, soil of, of false beliefs. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be set free. Well, for each of us, we live in still small bondages and areas that we maybe not see things right, maybe ignorant of, Father, maybe living denial of. Help us. Set us free from those things. May your Holy Spirit work in us. And Father, I pray that you would unleash this church for your good work, for your grace in this community, that we could be your agents of love. Lord, we've made commitments today. Help us keep those in such a way that really do draw us closer to Christ and his character. Pray for our tithes and our offerings. Lord, we know that you really do use them. In the wonderful name of our true Savior, Jesus. Amen.